Okay. So the Machsa opens up with Mincha for Ergin Kippur. We'll talk a little bit about some adjustments to the prayer that we make before Mincha on Ergin Kippur. First of all, um, we don't say Tachton on Ergin Kippur, so no, which of, which also includes no Avinu Malkeno. We don't say Avinu Malkeno on Ergin Kippur. Um, some customers do say Avinu Malkeno on Ergin Kippur when it falls on Friday, so that's not relevant to this year. When Yom Kippur when when Erev Yom Kippur is on Friday, which means Yom Kippur will be Shabbos, and we don't, and then we don't say Avinu Malkeno um, for the duration of Yom Kippur, with the exception of after Neila. So then some communities would say Avinu Malkeno on Friday. We don't Chabad don't do that, um, but okay. Um, Already from the night before, you say the Shema for going the bedtime Shema. The night before, we are ready for that Shema. Um, don't say um, the, 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 the those parts of the Shema that you omit when there's on a day that there's no Tachnon with the confessional prayer. So you omit that already from the night before Ervim Kippur. Um, in the morning, we do kaparas. Um, the, the correct the correct time for kaparas is to do it. And the Ashmuras Haboiker, which is basically the last third of the night of Erev Kippur. So, uh, you know, it's probably approximately from about 3.30 or 4 o'clock, that, that last, those last few hours of the night of Erev Kippur. That's the time to do Kaparas. And if you look over here on page two, um, yeah, it says you take a white rooster because it's a thread of divine grace prevails in the world. In the world. And we slaughter it to subdue the supernal severities and take out the blood to sweeten the severities, right? So it's a mystical concept, which is related specifically to that time. It is said, um, right, if somebody can't do it to that time, so then it says you could do it at any time during the Aserus Mechuvah, during the 10 days of repentance, which is why, for example, free are doing it um, this afternoon. I don't know uh, that, there, uh, I could be wrong, but I don't know that there's any virtue in doing it the night before if you're not doing it at that time, right? So if you're going to do it at midnight on, on, on Tuesday night, which is before the Ashmeris Baker, then you might as well do it this afternoon. I don't know that there's any virtue in staying up to midnight. And, 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 and... I think uh, Rabbi Hertz said there was a virtue Okay, um, I don't know, fine. I, I, have not, I, have not, I have not seen any source for that, and I, I know that there's maybe there's other people's panosa involved over here, so I shouldn't think. But I, again, I've never seen any source for any for, for doing it at that time rather than any time during a sesame chuva. That I could be wrong, but uh, anyway, um, is the Reb. I don't remember the exact time. You have to look at look at the time of the night divided into three and uh, the last third. Look what time what time is sunset the night before? What time is sunrise that day? Take those hours divided into three and uh, yeah. Um, it, it's usually approximately three thirty and on in Chicago. Um, huh? <laughs> um, all right, just between us chickens. Yeah, okay, no pun intended. <laughs> the <clears throat> when you uh, where was I? Caparis. Yeah. So when you do Caparis, so there's um some have the custom to do Kisri Hadam, the mitzvah of covering the blood of a slaughtered bird to do it themselves, which for most of us who don't live the farm life, it's a rare opportunity to do that mitzvah. 
Um, there's a, a number of things. First of all, the, 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 the mitzvah belongs to the shaykhet. So you're supposed to ask the shaykhet for permission to do it. Um, and it's kind of standard procedure. He will just nod his head. Um, now, there's some discussion as to, because the way you do it is the shaykhet will usually just pour it, uh, let the blood drain onto the floor. And then you take, there'll be a bag of sand or whatever it is, and you cover it up. The make sure it's completely covered. Now, there's another question about whether or not the sheikhat has to check his knife before you do the bracha on the kisei hadam. It's a big discussion, it's a little bit beyond the scope of right now, but uh, some, some people have the custom to either ask the sheikhat to check his knife um, or, uh, or, or, yeah, or you could, you could ask him to shecht yours a little bit to the side so you could watch the blood until the next time he happens to check his knife anyway, which he does after every of many chickens. Okay, anyway, let's get kind of sidetracked by this. Um, it's customary to wear Shabbos clothes already on Erev and Kippur. Some people wear Shabbos clothes from, from, the, from the morning already for Shachris. Some wear Shabbos clothes for, for, from the first meal. Some wear them from Mincha, but certainly at some stage during Erev and Kippur, Certainly before Mincha of Erev Yom Kippur, um, we change into Shabbos clothing. Um, we omit Mizmah Yilasayda, which is the paragraph, it's not in the Machta, it's from Shachris. We omit Mizmah Yilasayda, which is the paragraph immediately after Baruch Shamar. And the reason we omit it is because Mizmah Yilasayda is chapter 100 in Tehillim, we say every day, um, corresponding to the Karban Taidam, to the sacrifice, which some, a Thanksgiving sacrifice, which somebody would bring in the Beis HaMikdash, if he had something to give thanks for. And it was forbidden to bring that sacrifice on Erev Yom Kippur. And therefore, we don't say, why was it forbidden to bring that sacrifice on Erev Yom Kippur? So if you look at the chapter, which we say every morning, and we're going to say it in Yom Kippur morning also, and it's on page 112, um, it tells us that the Thanksgiving offering can be eaten for um, if it can be eaten on the same day and the evening until midnight. So if I brought a carbon tida today, I would be allowed to eat the carbon tida until midnight tonight, right? But an Arabian kipper, I would be getting out. One has to do with the halach is that when somebody brings a carbon, he has to do his best to make sure that nothing gets left over. If there's leftover, you have to burn it, but you have to make sure nothing gets left over. So an Erevim Kippur, when there was an absolute cut, cut, stop, that you had to stop eating it at sunset, and so you, you're knocking off all those hours between sunset and midnight that you wouldn't be able to eat. So there was a much higher chance that you would be, maybe as a coach from the base of soul, that you would be having leftover from the carbon. Don't forget, the carbon was a very lot, because besides the animal, it came with 40 big loaves of bread, and all of that had to be finished. It was going to be throwing a big party. So it was a lot of food to finish. And I, I don't know if there was, if we have any sort of data on how common it was for people to actually manage to finish it or not, but certainly you had to give yourself as much chance as possible and therefore you did not bring it on um, Erev Yom Kippur. By the way, it's the same reason we also omit Mizmah Lasoida on Erev Pesach because, and also Chalamayit Pesach, but specifically Erev Pesach, because 10 out of the 40 loaves of bread were chametz. 30 of them were non-chametz, 10 of them were chametz. Now, the chametz loaves had to be consumed before the time, before midday, before the time of chametz is over. So that's why we don't bring the carbon, not on a chalamite Pesach, for sure you couldn't bring it, because it's, uh, 
because it's chametz. Even on erev Pesach in the morning, where technically chametz is still allowed, but because you're limiting yourself and how many hours you could do it, so uh, um, so therefore we don't say it on erev Pesach as well. Okay. Um, before we come to Mincha, so we have the first Suda. It's a mitzvah to eat on, on Arab and Kippur. It's the only day in the year that there's actually a real mitzvah to eat. It's forbidden to fast under any circumstance in Arab and Kippur. And the mitzvah to eat, right? So we have the Minag is to have at least two meals in Arab and Kippur consisting of bread, washing and having bread and benching. And ideally, we do the first one before Chatzos. So those people out there who have a real job, if they're working on Erev Kippur, you know, it might be a little bit difficult, but if possible, one should have the first meal in the morning where you wash and you have a festive meal like you do on Shabbos with, with you dip the challah in, in honey, um, etc. And now there are certain foods that we avoid eating in, entirely on Erev Kippur. We don't eat um, sesame seeds. We don't eat... Uh, um, Garlic, eggs for men at least, because those foods are said to have a quality that they increase a person's uh, semen, and we do everything to avoid having an accidental um, emission um, on the night of Yom Kippur. So you don't, we refrain from eating those foods already, already from the day before Yom Kippur. Now we don't eat fish on, uh, in the afternoon and the, in the, in the later meal in the third of because we don't eat fish, but we do eat fish or one can eat fish, certainly in the morning, the olive oil kipper. Now, another thing that we avoid in Erevim Kippur is Pesar Behemoth. We don't eat meat. You can have poultry, but no meat on Erevim Kippur because some meat is more difficult to digest. Now, having said that, one of the menhagim of Erevim Kippur is to eat kreplach, or otherwise sometimes it's called krepchen, which basically means meat. Um, covered in dough, you know, the triangles, whatever it is, but basically meat covered in dough, barakas, whatever. Um, now, even though, so, so, the, so, so the whole discussion, some people make them with chicken, some people make them with meat. I believe Abhi Kabbalah is supposed to dafka be made specifically with meat, with, with red meat. Um, either way, that's not a problem. Yeah, we don't have a piece of steak, but just a small piece of, I mean, the small amount of meat that's inside the kreplach, that's not a problem to eat an Arvim Um Okay. I think also we don't have milk in the afternoon of Erev Kippur. All right, then we come to Mincha. Before Mincha, so first of all, there's the custom to do Malkus, to do the lashes, um, which uh, uh, in Shulchan Aruch it says it should be done with a Ritzua Shalegal, with a, with a, a strap made of a, a calf, from a, a leather from a calf. The mice of people usually just take off their belts and use whatever they have, or Gartel even. Um, and um, the, I think the idea of the calf is to remind us of the eagle, but uh, to, to, to subdue us, to do teshuvah. Anyway, so, and there's the psukim, we say v'hurachim three times as we, as we say, as we do the malchus, for the pasuk v'hurachim that we say every night before Maghrib has 13 words, and 13 times 3 is 39, so say it three times is 39 lashes. And every keeper one should give a lot of tzedakah, and specifically, there's a custom to give coins to tzedakah before mincha. And the Baal Shem says that the noise that the coins make when you put in the coins is uh, confuses the prosecuting angels. Okay. Then we go to mikvah. Now, even for people who don't go to mikvah regularly, there is an obligation to go to mikvah on Erevim Kippur. It's not a custom, it's an obligation. And... Um, 
And uh, now there's two reasons for this obligation. One reason is because it's similar to the way a convert goes to mikvah when he converts. So on Yom Kippur, we're going through the teshuva process and sort of the birth and renewal. So it's a, so we go to mikvah. Another reason given is for um, because one has to be to be clean from a balkari, not to when 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 a person has any time throughout the year, if a person has a nocturnal emission that renders him a balkari, and we don't want to be a balkari on Yom Kippur when we confess, we want to do it in a state of purity. So. Um, for that reason, so that's another reason why it's necessary to go to mikvah on Ervin Kippur. Now, the truth is that both of those reasons apply to women. The first one certainly applies to women because they also do to Shabbat in Kippur. And even the second reason to a married woman who could also have, after being intimate with her husband, could have an, uh, the residue um, um, comes out, that's also considered a balkari. And so, technically, both of those reasons apply. To women, Lamaisa, um, there's a lot of discussion about this and, and different articles and different opinions. In practice, n- single women, n- non-married women, don't go to mikvah every kippur. Married women, so ma- there's different. Co- every family has different customs. Many families have the custom that women also go to mikvah every kippur, um, and they they, they don't. Uh, it's not with all the preparations that they do uh, that they do regularly before they go to mikvah. It's just like uh, you know, just regular, quick in and out. Um, but that's a, a personal minute for the family. But for men, it's considered an, an absolute obligation to go to mikvah, and therefore, everybody should make sure to go to mikvah. Now, if if a person can't go to mikvah, so there's a few things. First of all, there's the, there's various opportunities around town um, to go to a mikvah, which might have <clears throat> which will have less people, or be a little bit more private. Um, I've heard some people will go to the beach. That's also okay. Um, especially this year, it's it's you know it's warmer than it is usually in Ervin Kippur, but it's the, only the very beginning of September. Um, so that, that that's one option. Now, it may be okay to go the day before Ervin Kippur. Certainly, according to the second reason, a person goes to Mikvah, let's say the day before, and then they're careful that night, and they not, then so then it's okay. For the second reason, it might be best. To, it's certainly better to go on Erevim Kippur, but if it's absolutely necessary, you go the day before, um, that's fine as well. If a person absolutely can't go to Mikvah, so then there's the option of Tisha Kabin, to pour nine kav, which is a measurement of water, over his, uh, over his body, which, I, in theory, the way to do that is you take a bucket of water and pour it over yourself, but that's usually difficult to accomplish. It's, it's very heavy. So one can accomplish it by having a shower. And that is basically you. The way you do it is you, you, uh, you, you wet your feet first. So you, even though you so you turn on the shower, wet your feet so that when you're standing on the ground, your feet, the water that's the residue water that's under your feet is connected, so to speak. And then you turn off the shower and turn it back on so that the initial um, flow of water goes directly on you. Yeah, so you might want to warm it up first and so it doesn't get a thing, but you want the initial water. And then you just stand there under the shower. You put your hands on your chest so that as much as possible your body's under the shower and let it run for, depending on the pressure of your shower, you measure it three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Um, do that for a few minutes. Again, that's the um, If it's not possible to go to mikvah, then that is, um, then, then that's the the answer. Okay, then we come to Mincha. So Mincha is in page 11 of the Machzer, Sarat Salamida. Now, it's basically a regular weekday Mincha, obviously with all the inserts for the 10 days of repentance. 
And at the bottom of page 16 starts vidui. Now, vidui is confession. Confession, uh, verbal confession, is a primary component of the mitzvah of tshuva. Mitzvah of tshuva is that uh, you have to resolve in your heart to um, abandon the avera that you've, that you've done and to better your ways. And um, you also have to, the Rambam says, you have to those that those things which you have determined in your heart, you have to then express them verbally to Hashem. That is the mitzvah of vidui. So this mitzvah is not specific, it can be done year round, but Yom Kippur is man that's a time when we have to do tshuva. So in Yom Kippur, we all say um, confessional prayers. Now, the minimum requirement to say confessional prayers is to say, I have sinned. You don't have to specify what the sin was. But ideally, one is supposed to specify, if, if one has a specific sin that is done, then you're supposed to specify. Now, um, it's questionable whether or not the, the, the al-chait that we say, the confessional prayer. So this confessional prayer that we say, starting on page 16, we're actually going to say it um, 10 times throughout the duration of Yom Kippur, as we'll see in a moment, starting from Mincha in the afternoon. And if you, if you look at them, you'll see the list of al khaits mm -hmm. It goes in alphabetical order. So it's, it's in double pairs. The first one, again, it's, it's, you know, if you're looking at the English, you, you'll miss this. But on the Hebrew... There's two for Aleph. The next two are base. The next two are Gimel. Then Dalad. Then eight, right? Every letter gets two. You see that? So, so there's a thing like this. A person is not still supposed to confess the specifics of his sin loud so that it should be audible to others because that's disrespectful. Like you don't tell other people something that you did, unless, unless it's something that everybody knows. But if a person did something, a personal transgressions between him and God, then it's inappropriate to announce it in public. So the Alter Rebbe says that this prayer that we say, al -chet, that's okay to say loud because, because it's universal and it's just everybody saying the same text. So then it's not like you're not sort of um, breaking <laughs> confidentiality, if you will, um, by saying it loud. So the Alter Rebbe doesn't say explicitly, it's unclear to me if, if this were, if this constitutes, in, in, term, in other words, that the Alter Rebbe says that concerning the vis-a-vis -vis the issue of confessing your sins out loud, saying the alchet out loud is not a problem. What about vis-a-vis -vis the issue of being specific about your sin, not just saying I sinned, but to say I did this and this? Well, if it's just part of the quote-unquote list that everybody says, does that give you the same? Yeah, the idea is that if you're specific and you say exactly what it was, so then that makes you even more remorseful. So that perhaps that's questionable whether the alchet is included or if a person wants... Anyway, the point is that if a person wants to add in has a specific sin that he has done that he wants to confess for, then it's certainly okay and perhaps even recommended to add it in and to say that in addition to the, just the list of the regular alchet, a person can add in their own confessional prayers if they would so like to do. Now... Why do we say al-chet by mincha? So the, there, are two, there are two opinions as to when is the primary time to say al-chet. One is just before Yom Kippur starts and one is just after Yom Kippur starts. We're going to get to that. But because of the concern that after mincha you're going to go home and have your sunnah mafsa because you're going to have a big meal and you might get drunk or you might choke and something terrible could happen. So Chacham instituted that we say al-chet um, 
before before the Suda as well. So that's why we say Al-Khet during the video. Al-Khet means the, yeah, the, the, the confessional prayers, we say them at Mincha, so that uh, just in case, God forbid, anything should happen, I've taken care, care of the confessional prayers before the meal. Um, we don't say Al-Khet in the repetition. During the Anyam Kippur, we say Al-Khet for every prayer, we say it twice, once in the quiet Amida, once in the repetition. But for um, for Mincha on Arim Kippur, we only say it in the quiet Shmonesra. Now, it's not intrinsically part of the of the Amida prayer. If you look on page sixteen, you've already said, "May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable before you." And you sort of brought it close to the Amida, and that has two or three ramifications. Um, number one, if a person forgot to say it. And he just did a regular Amida and he was like, oh, whoops, I forgot to, you know, he wasn't paying attention. So then he could say it after the Amida. It's not, it, we, the custom is, it's customary to say it at that point, but you could say it afterwards, independent of the Amida as well. Additionally, if a person finished the whole Amida, including the confessional prayers, and then he realized that he forgot, let's say, Hamalach HaKadosh, he forgot, uh, you know, the, the insert for the, the, the switch for those 10 days, which means one of the ones that would make him repeat the Amida. So then he has to repeat the Amida, but he doesn't have to repeat the confessional prayers. You only have to say the confessional prayers once before Mincha. And finally, and this is possibly very uh, common, is that one may answer a Dovesha Biktusha during the Al-Khet. That means that if I'm saying Al-Khet and the Chazan is saying already the repetition of the Amida and he's up to the Kedusha, so then, um, like we've discussed in the past, the different sections and davening where you interrupt for what, so Davish Abiktusha, which is the three verses of Kedusha, let's say, Kaddish Baruch Animlech, not the introduction of Naktishach, but just those three verses, Kaddish Baruch Animlech, or Amen after Hamelacha Kaddish, or Amen Yehishbeirapa for Kaddish, where, you know, if you're lying behind those things, which, which are considered Davish Abiktusha, um, you may answer even if you're in the middle of the Alchat. Okay, then we finish Mincha, David Ayri, Aleinu. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Pius, one of the mitzvahs of Ervim Kippur is to apologize. Now, the mitzvah is not as people often do, which just means sort of a generic, if I offended you or if I offended anyone. It means that if there's a specific person who you think you may have offended, then you should ask them to forgive you for that specific thing. Um, Right? There's no mitzvah to go around telling people, I hope you forgive me. And that's, that's just, uh, I think that cheapens the, the, the mitzvah. Yeah? Hopefully you haven't offended anybody. And if you have, hopefully you've already apologized. But if there's somebody who you've offended who you haven't apologized to, then take care of it before Yom Kippur. Um, sometimes it could be a person who's not ready to hear your apology. And so then, then you can't do it. But uh, in the past, we actually spoke about uh, what to do if somebody's already passed away. I was once, I've shared this story in the past, I was once involved with somebody who had, um, it was a very, it was a very difficult story where he was, long, the short version was that he was engaged to a girl and he broke off the engagement in a not very considerate way. And um, in continuation to that, actually the girl committed suicide. So um, anyway, many years later, it was in England, he was, he lived in New York. Many years later, he randomly, a long story, but many years later, he asked me to take a minion to the grave of her father and herself um, and ask them for forgiveness, which is what it says in Shulchan Aruch to do when somebody is no longer amongst the living. And we've discussed that in the past 
at great length, and perhaps I'll even see if I could find the recording. I'll upload it, a very interesting um, topic about uh, asking forgiveness from the dead. Anyway, um, at the Sudan of Sekhas, you go home, you're having a meal, but I'm ready for four minutes, you're ready for sure in Shabbos clothes. Um, at the meal, you don't, we don't have, at that meal, we don't have fish, so you just, you could have chicken, um, poultry, but no fish and no, um, no red meat. You don't have salty things. Now, ideally, when you bench, before you bench from the meal, um, you're going to, if, if it's still early, you're going to stipulate that you might still want to eat or certainly drink after benching. If you forgot to make that stipulation, then it's fine. But ideally, before you bench, you should have in mind that you're going to eat, continue eating afterwards because the idea is that without a specific stipulation, then benching um, sort of um, signals the onset of the fast. Like I finished eating the last meal and I'm, I, it could be seen as accepting the fast on oneself. Um, now, Okay, candles. So, so there's a number of different things for candles. Um, first of all, every married man should light a candle in the shul. You bring a 24-hour candle. Ideally, it should be beeswax, or it could be anyone. Take a 24-hour candle, and um, you light it in shul before Kol Nidre. That's a minute. Every married person should do that. Um, and you light it in the kitchen over there. There's no bracha or anything. You just light the candle. It's called a... And um, uh, you're supposed to be careful that it that it actually burns to the end. So if afterwards any of the candles sort of burnt out in the middle, you relight them. In addition to that, there's a custom that somebody who has lost one or both of his parents should light an additional candle at home in uh, in honor of his parents. Um, now, Is one gone already. I should light another one. Yeah, the one for him, Kipper. Right. Um, in addition to that, it doesn't. Yeah. In addition to that, in, in addition to that one, there should be another candle at home, twenty-four hour candle, because on Matzim Kippur you have to say the bracha like you do on Matzah Shabbos, you make a bracha over the fire. But the halacha is that on Matzim Kippur you have to make the bracha from a candle that was lit from a candle that was burning the whole Yom Kippur. So you have to have a twenty-four hour candle so that on Matzim Kippur you take another, you take your Havdalah candle and you light it from there and you make the bracha on that one. If necessary, you could use the same one that you lit. If somebody lit one, Lilinishkus's parents at home, you could use that one. But it says ideally it should be a separate one. So one again at home. There's one for if 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 you've lost a parent, then there's one for that. And then ideally there should be an additional one for um, for to, to make sure you have a bracha amotzim kipper. For me, Cheryl, and then one. So we should have at least three lit at home. So you and Cheryl should do one set. No, right. Cheryl's lost a, a father. Right. So yeah. So Cheryl, you and I do one for my father. Yeah. In other words, a person could do one for both his parents, but a husband right. and wife should right. be separate, and then right? We so, do one. Yeah, so theoretically, I'll have three. Go right. right. Now, in addition to, and then another one, a fourth one in Shul. That's right. Fourth right. In now, yes. Yes. You should light a candle in Shul, yes. yes. uh, uh, yes, even if you're not married, but you were married, so you should light one in Shul. Um. Now, now there's another one, which I think there's a little bit of a misnomer about this. The halacha is that a, person, a married person, a person who's sleeping with his wife on, on, in the same bedroom as his wife, on Yom Kippur, has to, that can't be completely dark in the room. Because the halacha is that you're not allowed to be intimate with, with your wife um, with the, when the light is on. 
So if you leave some light on, so then you will refrain. One of the, one of the Hamisha Anoyim, one of the halachas from Kippur is to not engage in marital relations. So if you leave some light on, so then that's an extra step. Now, what, what, what sometimes people say is that you have to have a candle in the bedroom. You don't have to have a candle in your bedroom. You just have to make sure there's some light on. So if you have your bedside lamp and you just leave it on, especially if you have those Shabbos lamps, and you just make sure not to close it all the way, that's fine. You don't actually have to have, I know some people time it's a safety people, whatever, for whatever reasons, people don't like having a candle in their bedroom. It's totally fine. There's no, in fact, you don't even need to have any light on. If you have the light in the hallway on and you make sure not to close the door all the way, that's fine as well. You just have to make sure that it's not, the room is, has some light on in a way that um, would, you would refrain from being intimate with your wife in such a situation. Um, now, okay. Um, after the Suda Mafsakes, after the meal, it's customary to bless one's children with the Berchas Abonim, with the Yuvrechacha, like it's printed in the Siddha in the morning brachas, that whole section. Um, if your parents, your children are with you, if they're if they're out of town, and uh, you could, and then any time during the day, you reach them over the phone. I mean, if you could reach them, then that's fine. But if, maybe if they're in a different time zone, it's going to be difficult. So sometimes during the day, you reach them over the phone and you give them the bracha. Some people have the custom to do that every Friday night. Chabad custom is that we only do it on Arab Yom Kippur. Now, even though, of course, there's no eating on Yom Kippur, but we still dress ourselves and our house in the uh, festive outfit. And so one should make sure to put a tablecloth, a white tablecloth, on the table like you do every Shabbos and Yom Tov, even though obviously there's not going to be any food. Um, but you set the table in a, in, in a festive way. So it basically means a white tablecloth. Um, now, additionally, okay, we'll talk a little bit about women's lighting candles. Um, 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 um. Okay, so usually, Okay, if, women are, if, if the women are lighting candles at home and they're not coming to shul, then that's the simplest thing. They light the candles, they make the two brachas, followed by and then they stay home and they make sure to sit, to spend some time by the candles. Um, um, because you have to get derived benefit from the candles. Usually we derive benefit by eating next to the candles. So obviously in Kippur we don't do that, but at least um, to spend some time there. Perhaps uh, would even you know, some suggest that uh, the, the, the halacha is that when you, when you're eating, so then even every extra bit of light is considered significant. But if you're not eating, so then the the light of the candles have to actually be significant. So some people say, okay, so then you should leave off the electric lights in the room where the candles are, so that the candles are actually significant. Others say, at the very least, turn off the electric lights and turn them back on before she lights the candles, so that the bracha on the making candles pertains not just to the candles, but also to the electric lights. Now, if a woman does want to go to shul, um, if she wants to drive, so then the thing, the idea is like this, or if a man is, is, is if, if, if a man doesn't have a wife at home to light candles, so he has to light the candles. So there's a concept of making a tanai, which applies every Shabbos. Um, for women, they're not allowed to do it every Shabbos, men can do it every Shabbos, which is that you light candles and you either make the bracha on the candles, in fact, you make the bracha before you light the candles. And, um, but, but you stipulate that I'm not accepting Shabbos, or in this case, I'm not, I'm not accepting Yom Kippur yet, until so shortly. 
and then you could still drive to shul. Um, there's a number of caveats. First of all, I've, we've discussed this a number of times in the past, but it's always good to refresh our memories. Um, a number of caveats. Number one, that you still have to accept Shabbos within a few within a few minutes. I've seen 10 minutes, nine minutes. Today I saw somebody saying 11 minutes. But within a short period of time, after lighting candles, you have to accept Shabbos or Yom Kippur. So you light candles at home, drive to shul, put away your keys, and then you say, okay, I'm accepting Yom Kippur now. No, half an hour is for sure too long. Um, no, 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 that's... There's nothing to do with the time of sunset. The halacha is that you have to, even if you, the default is that when you light the candles, you're accepting Shabbos or accepting Yom Kippur. If you specifically intend not to, then that's fine, but then you're obligated to go ahead and accept Shabbos within a few minutes. Again, nine minutes, 10 minutes, 11 minutes, but shortly afterwards. Um, and if you don't, then you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah of lighting Shabbos candles because the whole idea, the, the idea is basically that if you don't accept Shabbos soon or accept Yom Kippur soon, then you can, I turned on the lights this morning too. Like it doesn't, it's not, doesn't, doesn't pertain to the thing. Now that's really for every Shabbos. And in Kippur, there's an additional um, two issues to, 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 to take care of. Number one is Shechiyonu. That even though you could make the stipulation when it comes to the bracha of lighting the candles, but Shechiyonu is, if you say the bracha Shechiyonu, that Hashem has brought us to this time, that bracha in and of itself constitutes accepting in Kippur. So you can't say shachiyono on the candle and then drive to shul. Once you've said shachiyono, you can't drive anymore. Obviously, you can't eat anymore um, or drink. So if a person does that, that they want to light candles at home, stipulate, so then the way to do it is you light the candles, make the stipulation, drive to shul, put away your keys, and that's it. But you don't say shachiyono when you light the candles. And in that case, you'll say shachiyono, men or women, whichever it is, you'll say Shekhyonu in shul together with the whole congregation after Kol Nidre when we all say Shekhyonu, right? Usually women who light candles, they say Shekhyonu at home, and then when they come to shul, they walk to shul, and they don't say Shekhyonu after Kol Nidre, right? You'll see in the bottom of page um, 36 is Shekhyonu. So, um, right, it says over there, one who has already recited it when lighting candles should not say the blessing. But if you made that stipulation to delay the onset of Yom Kippur when you light candles, so then you, you'll say Shekhyonu then. Additionally, you have to have benefit from the candles on Yom Kippur. So if you're gonna, if you're lighting candles and you're staying there, so you sit there by the candles and you read your, you, the woman will sit there and read something, read the machsa, read something else, then that's the very benefit. But if you're dashing out the door to shul, then you have to make sure, that might have takes a couple of hours, you have to make sure that you're lighting candles that are long enough that are still gonna be burning when you get home so that you could then sit by the candles and Okay. Um, now, another thing to be aware of is, um, especially for some people who are, um, who are at that stage, um, and it's not really relevant the rest of the year, but the harchokas, the behaviors between husband and wife, that one observes when the wife is nida. So all of those harchokas um, apply um, completely for the entire duration of Yom Kippur by night and by day. So obviously no sleeping in the same bed, no touching, no passing things directly hand to hand. All the harchakas that apply between a husband and wife when she is in the status of Nidah apply for the entire duration of Yom Kippur. Um, for, for all, for, for people of all ages, etc. Okay, we got to Shul. Now the minag is to wear the talis for the entire duration of Yom Kippur, for all the prayers in Yom Kippur. But you could only say the bracha 
on the talis before sunset. So you're going to be getting to shul before sunset anyway, because there's a lot to do, as we'll see. But um, but make sure you put on your talis before, so you could say the bracha, and then you keep it on for the duration of marriage. If you're delayed for whatever reason, so then you put on the talis after sunset, but you can no longer say a bracha on the talis. Um, okay, now there's two things that we have to do before Kondidri. One is vidui. Now here, it's not published. Let's see if it's printed in the Mahsa. Yeah, if you look at the bottom of page 25, Order of the evening of Yom Kippur. Yeah, the order of putting on talis is done before sunset. Okay, like we just said. Then it says, it is customary to recite the confessional prayers starting on page 16 through 21 before beginning to him. Now, why are we doing the confessional prayers again? So here's where we get to this machlokas. There's machlokas, two opinions. When it, you know, we say confessional prayers many times throughout Yom Kippur, but when is the primary time to say it? So one opinion is, well, at the beginning of Yom Kippur, that's when you say it. So in the evening prayers, that's the first prayer of Yom Kippur. We say al Khat as we will on page, uh, what is it? on page 50, 52 at the bottom. That's the end of my We get to the confessional prayers. Another opinion says, no, the primary time to say uh, the confessional prayers is immediately before Yom Kippur, so that we, so to speak, enter the day on a clean slate. Right. So that's why we say al Khat over here. In addition to that, in addition to that, um, we also have the custom that we've been keeping from the first day of Elul to say three chapters of Tehillim after every prayer, after every morning prayer. And the climax of that custom is that on Yom Kippur we say nine chapters before before Kondidri, nine chapters after before bedtime. Um, and then I think it's nine chapters after Musaf and nine chapters after Neil or something like that, right? So um, the nine chapters are, in, in this one actually includes Kofi test 119, which is the longest one. So in the nine chapters go from page 26 through page 35, 34 inclusive, right? Till the end of 123. So when you come to shul before uh, before the before the fast, you're going to come in, you're going to have to, okay, you light your candle, and then you might want to get a final glass of water, and then you need to put on your talis, and then you're going to be saying pages 16 through pages 21, and, right, for the confessional prayers, and then you're going to be saying the Psalms from page 26 through 34. So all of that takes at least, uh, even for the fast readers, probably takes a good 15, 20 minutes. So, and then starts Kalnidre, which we start around the time of sunset. So you want to be here a good 20 minutes, half hour before sunset. Bob, it's, don't, don't need to come two hours. Right. You want to be here a good half hour or so before sunset um, to make sure that you're sort of, quote unquote, done everything you have to do. And you know, don't come into Kalnidre um, puffing and screaming. Yeah. Okay. Right then, okay. Kalnidre huffing and puffing, sorry. All right, then it's Kalnidre, Shechayano. At the end of Kalnidre, we say Shechayano. For those who, who did not like candles or didn't say Shechayano, we say Shechayano now. But usually every Yom Tov, we say Shechayano. When we make Kiddush, obviously in Kippur there's no Kiddush, so we do Shekhyana. Okay, my we obviously skipped Kabbalah Shabbos, it's not on Friday night this year. My um, Now, and then we say Al Chait. 
So we say al-chet at the end of Ma'ariv. Again, and this is uniform, we say it. So we say, the way we say al-chet, I said 10 times. So we said it by Mincha and Arim Kippur. We said it just before Komnidre. By Ma'ariv, we say it after the Amida of Ma'ariv. Now, even though there's no repetition of the Amida of Ma'ariv, but there is, um, we, we say it again together with the Chazan later on in the evening as part of the Slichas prayer, which is on page 71. Uh, sorry, on page uh, 72. Uh, yeah, 71. Yeah, and then we say it again another four times. So one second, so far that's three, right? We've said it three times already. Four, four times already, right? We've said it mincha before kolnidre twice during the evening services, and then we say it another eight times. So it's really a total of twelve. Shachris Musaf. No, another three times. No, I was right. Ten. Shachris Musaf and mincha. Both in the silence of Amida and in the repetition, we say it together with the Chazan. By the fifth prayer in Ila, we do say a short confessional prayer, but not the whole, the, the long Alchet. Okay, that's um, so that's for my riff. After the Amida, there's basically Slichas, which we say together with the Chazan, you know, and uh, there's a number of songs that we sing then, which is traditional, okay. Um, then we say Avinu Malkeno. Um, then we have on page 82, um, page 82, again, we have the David Mizmer, Psalm 24, concerning which it says that um, uh, it's, it's, it's school of Parnosa to say this with, with, with great uh, attention, with great, great kavana. The David Mizmer, that's page 82 and 83. Okay, 84 we skip because it's not Shabbos. Aleinu. After Aleinu, okay, and then we have the extra Kadeshim. Then we say the first four chapters of Tehillim. And there's a special intention one is supposed to have when one says the name of God in these four chapters. If you look in the new, in the annotated city, the way the Machsa, the way they've done it is that they've printed the vowelization like that. If you look, um, let's just go uh, look on the Hebrew side of page 87. Um, Two lines from the bottom, the beginning of chapter three, the second to last word is Yudke Vavke, which we pronounce Adnai, but it has this interesting vowelization, a chirik under the Yud, at the bottom of page 87, the second from the bottom line in the Hebrew in 87, it has the chirik under the Yud, the Shiva under the He, and the chirik under the Vav. That's not the regular vowelization that we have for God's name. That is the same vowelization as you have for the word Bivris, which is the covenant, which is um, an allusion to the brismila, and also in addition, the word carry. Um, it says like this: that these, look at the beginning. You see on the top of page eighty-seven. Once you recite the first four chapters of Tehillim, they contain three hundred and ten words of um, the numerical value of the word carry, which is a seminal omission. The first and last letters of these chapters equal one thirty-one, which is the numerical value value of the word Samuel. And basically, this is a skula to avoid an accidental nocturnal omission on the night of Yom Kippur. Um, and then in addition, the tetragrammaton, that's the name of Hashem, is recited in the usual manner, but have in mind the vowelization as it said in the Hebrew, which, like I said, is the word bivris. Yeah, they don't explain that in the English here, but that's the reason. So there's three sort of specifics to these four chapters. One is that they have 310 words. Another is that the first and last letters are the numerical value of 131. And also the vowelization of Bifris. Then we say another morning's Kaddish, followed by Mishnayas. Okay. Then we have the bedtime Shema. Now, 
even though, and, and every day it says in the in the Shema, if you look in the in the Siddur, it says every night when you say Shema, if you still wish, you could say the extensive confessional prayers. But in Yom Kippur, even though we say the confessional prayers many times, we don't say it in the bedtime Shema. Um, and then after the bedtime Shema on page 92, we have our next um, our next installment of the nine chapters from chapter 124 through chapter 132 of Tehillim, which bring you to page 95. And then good night. Of course, I forgot to mention, but anytime that you say Shema, whether it's the bedtime Shema or the evening Shema, we say Baruch Shem out loud in a loud voice. The whole year we specifically say it in an undertone. And in Kippur, we specifically say it in, an, in a loud voice. Okay. Um, now, the morning washing of the hands. So, first of all, one of the prohibitions of Yom Kippur is Rechitza, which, which is any type of washing. So we have to wash our hands in the morning for what we call Nagel Maser. So all of us sitting around the table today will only wash our hands until the knuckles. The exception is Koyin. Koyin has the Duchen. And if he has the Duchen, then he has to wash his hands entire, completely to the wrist before Duchening. So because he's going to wash his hands to his wrist then, so then he already washes his hands to the wrist in the morning as well. So a Koyin washes Nagovasa, a Koyin who's going to Duchen, washes Nagovasa like regular in the morning. All of us chickens just do it until the knuckles. Um, you obviously know rinsing out your mouth or washing your face or anything like that. It said that you could, you, after you wash Nagovasa, you wipe your hands in the towel and the towel has a tiny bit of moisture. So then you can use that to, to wash or to sort of just freshen up your face. That's okay. If you have a specific piece of dirt on your face, often you people have in the eye like a piece of thing. So then you can take a little bit, just a little bit of water on your finger and you, you rub it off, that's fine. But you don't wash your face just uh, other than actually washing off a piece of dirt. Um, when it comes, okay, then the morning blessings. Now, it is very important. We omit the bracha of Sha'asali Now, it's not on any page because it's omitted, but it would be the bracha between the last bracha on page 97 and the first bracha on page 98. This is the bracha that we say every day, Sha'asali Kaltsarki, that we thank Hashem for providing all our needs, which refers specifically to shoes. And because we don't wear leather shoes in Yom Kippur, so we omit that bracha. So, obviously, if you're just saying it from memory, it's easy to forget that, so, you know, pay attention. Oh, I forgot to mention, um, in case you thought that the evening service was too short, so there is a custom which was reinstituted by the Rebbe, that after all of this, we should say that we should stay, it's important that you should stay up the whole night of Yom Kippur learning and not go to sleep, but uh, some people need to be able to sleep by night so that they shouldn't sleep tomorrow by davening. But it's also brought to the Rebbe through, and this is the Chabad custom, to say the entire Tehillim after Meir, just like we do on Shabbos Mubarakim in the morning, um, to say the entire Tehillim. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yes, the Arkadesh. And then um, it's, uh, it takes quite some stamina to be able to say the whole thing after, you know, you're tired and you do your best. Okay. Specifically in relation, I think, to Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, that saying the Adon Elam prayer with proper attention, and that's on page 102, um, is um, 
protects you from prosecution and uh, makes sure that your prayers will be accepted and heard, etc. Now, okay, then we have the regular chakras, obviously with the Yom Kippur Amida and the confessional prayer, followed by the repetition, including all the various piyutim uh, uh, that we say. And then chakras, Volcano Musaf. Um, okay, now the thing is like the oh, by the way, if, if it's relevant to anybody, first of all, if anybody has any shyness about fasting and kippur and medication, please, 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 please don't wait until Arabian kippur to ask your shyness. Ask them in advance so that um, it doesn't have to be a last minute thing. Now, there is locally the Chicago. Center for Torah and Chesed, what they've done, I haven't seen it advertised this year, I actually emailed them, let me see if they responded yet, um, but they've definitely done this in the past and I assume they'll be doing it this year as well, is that they have a time when you could call in and they have a, a rabbi and a doctor at the phone together and you describe whatever medication or medical situation you have and they'll um, assess it and address it with you. So uh, I don't know exactly what the hours are. If anybody's interested, let me know, or I'll let you know if I find out. Um, but don't wait till, oh, can I take my pills today? I ask way ahead of time so that not any last minute things. Um, if a person does, for whatever reason, have to eat bread um, on Yom Kippur, and so then when he washes, he would wash his hands like regular all the way up to the wrist. Um, now, before now, the thing is like this: it's interesting. Um, in the diaspora, the custom, the, the mitzvah to duchen, the mitzvah to kaim for the priestly blessing, is to say it every day for whatever reason beyond the scope of right now. The custom for Ashkenazim in the diaspora is that we only do it on Yom Tov. Why do we do it on Yom Tov? Because it says that Tov Levu somebody who's happy will give a, a bracha. So, so, so that's why when they're happy on Yom Tov, it's time to do bracha. Now, why do we only do it by Musaf and not by Shachris? So the reason is because when it comes to Musaf, we're almost going home to eat food. And when we're about to eat food, we get very happy. So that's why we the time for Duchening every Yom Tov is by Musaf. Now, what about Yom Kippur? Why do we Duchen on Yom Kippur? It's not a day of joy specifically. The reason is that there's on Yom Kippur, there's an extra joy, there's a different type of joy, which is the joy and the happiness of the forgiveness. Now, a person knows that I'm being forgiven and I'm starting a fresh slate. So that is also joy, and therefore we duchen on Yom Kippur. Now, the truth is that in Yom Kippur, there's no reason anymore to duchen by Musaf than by any other prayer. Now, by Mincha, we're not allowed to duchen. You're not allowed to duchen by Mincha because, because all year round, you're not allowed to duchen by Mincha because the concern of the Kayan might not be sober. Time. During the day, he could drink something. But so, therefore, we're not allowed to duchen on Yom Kippur either by Mincha because there's a general blanket thing, no duchening at Mincha. But on Yom Kippur, we could really duchen by Musaf and we could duchen by Ne'ilah and by Shachris. Now, the Minag is, I don't know why, for some reason, the Minag is that we don't duchen by Shachris. For whatever reason, it became this uniform thing. We duchen by Musaf and all other holidays, so we duchen by Musaf and Yom Kippur as well. Now, in Shulchan Aruch, it says that you should duchen by Ne'ilah as well in Yom Kippur. In fact, the, re- the minag is that we don't duchen by Ne'ilah, and I think that the, re- the reason is because to duchen has to be done during the day. And by Ne'ilah, the, the, the time for Ne'ilah prayer is 
when it says when the sun is on top of the trees, which basically means right, the sun, it means when the, the the sun is on the horizon around tree level. In other words, shortly before sunset is the time for Neila. So by the time you finish your Amida and the repetition and da 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 da, to get to be able to duchen. You, you, more often than not, by the time you're up to that section of the prayer, um, it's already going to be after sunset, and therefore the custom is that in general we don't look by Neila and Yom Kippur because, because because usually it's after sunset. So even if you happen to make it fast, we don't look by Neila. However, we do say, you know, in the repetition of the Amidah, there's the Likeinu of the Kerev Seinu. The now the Chazan says the Chazan says the Duch the Yivarecha Hashem Nishmarecha. So that we do say by Neila, even if it's after sunset. Now the Levim, the Levim before the Kainim Duchen, Bob, this is for you. The, the before the this is not just Yom Kippur every day, yeah, every time before the, the Kainim go to Duchen. So who washes their hands? The Levim. But the, before the Levi washes the hand of the Kain, the Levi himself has to wash his own hands. So on Yom Kippur. He only washes till his knuckles, even though the kohen is going to wash his whole hands, but the lady only washes till his knuckles. Um, okay. Um, when you come back, if you if you leave between Mosef and Mincha, um, but usually when you come back, it's, it's certainly going to be less than three or four hours, or whatever how long the break is. So you usually do not need to make another bracha on your talis. You took it off. You intended that you're going to put it back on soon. So you don't make another bracha on your talis. Yes. Is that the same for the night and the morning? No. In the morning, so you do. The, in the night, when you take it off, we can just put it on. Yeah, it because there's too many hours in between. You're going to sleep. So you still recite the bracha again. Yes, you do recite the bracha again on the talis in the morning. Now, by the way, that, that the idea of the rushing by Neila is also the reason why we cut some of the piyutim that we say. We cut them. So, for example... If you look on page, let me find this. Yeah, first of all, I should, I should uh, on page 370, so, on page 370, the second to last paragraph, and then congregation, is, So the translation is, open the gates of heaven, Open for us your bounteous treasure. Right? That's the little translation. Open for us your good treasure. However, the Rebbe Rashab had the Minag and the Rebbe mentioned this numerous times that you should put the comma after the word Lanu. And so that it translates as not, not just not to translate it as open for us your good treasure, but open the treasure that is good for us. Right? In other words, because we know that everything Hashem does is good, but we want it to be good in a way that we can actually perceive and experience that it's good. So therefore, we by changing the place of that comma, we add that emphasis that we want it to be. Now, some of the piyutim, if you look, for example, I think, I think this applies to more than one. I'm not a big expert on piyut, 
But if you look on page 36, through, sorry, 366, um, there's a period that starts with the word Merubim Um Now that period, um, you can see it goes in alphabetical order. It starts with Mem, then goes Samach, and then um, and then goes Pei, Kuf, Reish, Rebbe, Shin. Why does it... Um, why do we start from Mem? Well, let's start from the beginning. So it could be that the reason we omit the first half of it is because by the time it comes to Neil, we're pressed for time, so we don't say the whole thing. I believe that applies to the number of the period. And we do actually say the beginning of this period earlier in the day. Um, let me see if I can find it quickly. Other you can see it's in Mosef. Uh, let's see. Let's find it here quickly. Starts with the words Odin Moyet Kisikach Mesharim. I'm pretty sure we say the first half of it somewhere during the day. You know, we say Aleph, Base, Gimel, you know, through Tilmem. Oh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. It's on Slichas. On Slichas of Rosh Hashanah, we say it. On Slichas of Rosh Hashanah, we say the whole thing from Aleph, but we skip. We say from Aleph till Mem, we say quietly, and then from Mem till the end, the Chazan leaves in this sort of verse by verse, you know, Pasuk by Pasuk. Um, either way, that's uh, one thing. Okay, I'll just, a uh, couple of things about certain specific Piyotim. Um, first of all, here, Mirubim Tzorchi um, You know, let, let's just do a few words about the Sanatikas. Not so much time. Already over time, but uh, the Sanatikov is perhaps one of the most important, famous Piyutim that we say in Rosh Hashanah Kippur. It's the beginning of Moses. It's on page page two thirty eight. Yeah. So there's a very very famous story or perhaps myth about this Piyut. The I'm sure everybody here has heard this story about Rabbi Lazar of Magensa that he was called by the king or whatever and asked to convert to Christianity and he said give me three days and then he regretted that he even gave any sort of notion that it was something he could think about and so when he brought it back after three days he said that his punishment should be to cut off his tongue and um, and then the king cut off his tongue and he also cut off his hands and feet his fingers and his toes and then they took him to the, he's asked to be taken to the shul and he said this prayer and then he died and then he came to, you never heard the story? And then he came in, in a vision to his, I forget to who, to his son maybe, and he taught it. Anyway, it's a story, you can Google it. It's, everybody knows this story. The fact, what? The point is that the story has, actually the rabbi actually um expressed doubt about the story already in the 50s in a letter the Rebbe wrote, the Rebbe said like, it would obviously be forbidden for a person to allow, to ask for his cut to be, his tongue to be cut off. But um, anyway, recent uh, academics have proven that the 
prayer when the Sana Tukif existed in the liturgy many, many years before Abelazav Magans lived. So whether there's any truth to the story, if it's based on something that actually happened, who knows? Um, but it's known as one of the most, uh, certainly a very powerful prayer, uh, talking about the Yom Hadin. Um, it borrows from a Mishnah in Pirkeyavis, which talks about Hashem being um, both the judge and the, and, and the witness. And so there's no way of any, yeah, the, so you are the judge, the one who presents the evidence, the Noah and the witness, that's based on the Mishnah in Pirkeyavis in chapter four, where it says that, it talks about Hashem in that way. Um, it also says that every person's signature is in there, which is based on the Medrash, which is based on the Pasuk and Eiv. The Pasuk and Eiv is in Eiv chap, chapter 37, verse 7, says, on which the, the Gemara says that when a person is brought to his judgment after 120, whatever the case is, the person, every individual himself signs it and confirms that this is um, accurately, what uh, what what is coming to him, so to speak. So that's the illusion of that Hashem's judgment is so true that even we have to sign on it. And um, and we talk here about it's interesting. It says the great shofar is blown, which obviously induces uh, fear, but it also alludes to the end of the pasuk, which is that we bow to Hashem, that frustrating ourselves to Hashem is, um, and the Medrash talks a lot about how the, the merits of frustrating ourselves to Hashem, which obviously is not just the physical frustration, but the idea of of bitol, of subduing oneself to the will of Hashem, is a great schos, which is what will take us out of Godless, etc., etc. Now, the Chabad Kassah, on Yom Kippur, we prostrate ourselves four times. In Rosh Hashanah, we do it once on each day, by Vanach uh, Kairim. On Yom Kippur, we do it... Um, uh, we do it uh, four times um, during the repetition. Oh, Mosef. Uh, the Chabad custom of doing it, it's a, it's a difficult thing to do, but uh, you can. Um, is, so so you, but when he says, Kairim, the first one, when you kneel down here, let's look at it inside. Um, let's look at page... Page 250 is one of the times, right? So when you say the first word, which is kairim, which in English is bend the knees, so then you fall down on your knees. And the next word is a mishtachvim, bound down. So then you put the, 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 your torso goes down. And then you touch your forehead um, to the floor. It is carpet. If there's no carpet, you make sure there's something else in between your knees and between your forehead and the floor. And then... The idea is that at least, if, at least for a brief moment, you should be on the floor supported just by your big toe and your big thumbs. So, so, so you lift up from your knees. Possible again? That's like about custom. I don't know what the thing. Yeah, that you lift up from your knees, and that at least for a brief moment you're sort of prostrating yourself, supported just by your thumbs and your toes, and then you push up. People describe that the way the rabbi did it, but he, he's pushed himself from that position with just his thumbs, pushed himself back up to standing upright. I don't know if uh, most uh, human beings are able to do that. I don't know. But that's that's the minute of prostrating ourselves. And obviously, the acre is to think about the fact that uh, we're prostrating ourselves existentially um, in front of Hashem. And we shall be